0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Bluehost, introducing Wondersuite. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few questions and get a unique, customizable WordPress website or store right away. Go to bluehost.com slash
1: Wondersuite. Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers, and this is Embedded from NPR. So this pandemic has obviously affected big things in big ways, right? Like the healthcare system, the economy, But it's also messing with a bunch of smaller, more personal things, too, like love, getting together, staying together, not staying together. One woman we talked to said she had two perfectly fine dates over FaceTime. And then on the third one, the guy showed up on screen in just his underwear on purpose. So that was the end of that. And then there's Amy Kaufman. She writes about Hollywood for The L.A. Times Embedded producer Chris Bender, I've talked to her.
2: Ever since the lockdown began, Amy has not known what to do about her dating life. To keep it going or to just stop.
3: Especially when you're like 34 and like feel like this annoying impetus to find your partner and like settle down and and maybe have kids. So it's like, should you just stop looking or do you, is it just fun to pass the time? Like... Is it possible that if you started talking to someone, you could maintain a connection for however long this lasts? Like, it's very, you know,
4: confusing.
2: For now, Amy's decided to go for it, to keep dating. Which, during this pandemic, means FaceTiming or Zooming a stranger from your house. The first guy she went out with was nice, but there wasn't enough of a spark. But the second one was a little different. There were questions about UFOs and whether COVID-19 is an anti- or even pro-Trump conspiracy. How quickly did that emerge as a real theme for him?
3: Uh, five minutes. Really? Like, the first question was like, what, what's the other question you asked me, Shelby?
2: Shelby is Amy's roommate. They talk a lot.
3: The first question he asked me that I was like, what? Oh yeah, if we're living in a simulation. That was the first question. Do you think we're living in a simulation? And I said, no, do you? And he was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you believe in time travel? And then it just went down this rabbit hole, and I was like, oh, we're not aligned.
2: (laughs) We also heard about another kind of pandemic date from Amy's roommate, the one she called out to, Shelby. She recently matched with a guy on an app, and things were going well. But...
3: He was asking, he's like, do you want to go like on a walk? Like we could go to the farmer's market. So like suggesting things like where we'd be in an open space together and like be six feet apart. But like even that I've been kind of weary about because I've been like trying so hard to stay at home and I'm not really trying to break that to meet up with a person I've never met before.
2: (laughs) A couple days after saying no to the walk and the farmer's market, Shelby decided to get herself and only herself out of the house. She drove to the beach and texted the guy when she got there. He texted back to say that he could meet her in Malibu if she was going for a drive. She again declined, and they kept texting.
3: And I mentioned to him, I was like, oh, my only downfall of this whole thing is that I didn't bring snacks with me. And he was like, oh, what are you craving? And I said, something salty. And he was like, is there anything that you don't eat? And that's where I kind of got to the point where I was like, is he like up to something? Like, what is he doing? And I told him that I don't eat mushrooms. He was like, Okay, are you still in Malibu right now? And I was like, Yes. What are you doing? And he's like, just hang tight for a second.
2: Shelby texted back, okay, and waited. She says she genuinely did not know what to expect.
3: And then a couple minutes later he sent me an address for a restaurant that he, he's a chef. Um, so one of the restaurants that he works at. He wasn't working that night, but he called in basically an order. She was like, on your way home, you can stop by this restaurant and there's like dinner waiting for you and your roommates for you to pick up. Like, I've known you had a hard day. I hope this like helps like put a smile on your face. Um, so I left and I picked up dinner and it was like, sure enough, like this like beautiful d- dinner that was like sitting waiting for us.
2: Chicken Parmesan and a salad, plus a veggie burger and fries for her roommate. Shelby thought it was sweet and creative. And it made him stand out from anyone else she'd been chatting with recently on the apps. She called him when she got back in her car. And they both decided that it was, quote, social distancing at its finest. A dinner for two that one of them can't even eat with zero in-person interaction. They kept texting after that. But she says she still found herself being careful not to get too attached.
3: There's also a part of me that's, like, in the back of my head, like, we don't know how long this is going to last. And like, sure, right now he's like, oh, like, oh, wait, a month to like meet you. And then like, but I'm like, realistically, like, are you going to do that? Like, because I'm sure that there are girls out there that like will come over and like hang out with you. And like, I will not do that.
2: About a week and a half later, though, something happened. Shelby was cooking dinner, pasta carbonara, and on a whim texted a picture to the guy responded that it looked so good he'd trade a bottle of wine for the leftovers. And so they exchanged gifts on her front steps, maintaining a safe distance of six feet. The next night, the guy came to her door again. He brought the food this time. And just like the night before, Amy, Shelby's roommate, was there at the window filming the whole thing.
3: Am I on, am I on video again? Yep. <laughs> nice. You're going to come to my window nightly to deliver food to someone you've never met you will be on Instagram. <laughs> How long are you going to keep this up, bro? I don't know. How long is
1: quarantine again? I don't know.
2: They've kept up these meal exchanges. They're doing them multiple times a week. And they also talk on the phone about two hours a day. Shelby says she's never felt this way after just two weeks with a guy off an app. And as far as actually touching, at one of their meal exchanges, a paper bag did tip over. And by instinct, they both went to catch it. And their hands, hers in gloves, Almost touched, but not quite. Not yet.
1: Coming up after a break, people in relationships who are kind of losing it. Some recover, some don't. And what are they supposed to do?
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it?
3: A clearer picture of racial disparities in COVID-19 deaths is coming into view, one that puts Black people at the center of the crisis. But the data is still murky when it comes to race and coronavirus. On NPR's Code Switch, we're going to discuss a nationwide effort led by journalists, academics, and volunteers trying to make sense of it all.
1: Okay, we are back with another story from our producer, Chris Banderev. And this one's a little more complicated.
2: It's about a couple a husband and a wife who live in Oakland, California. They don't want their names used, so we're going to go with their initials. He is H, she is S, they're in their 30s. They've been married for a little over a year, but together for six, and they share a one-bedroom apartment. And the thing to know, and they both confirmed this with me, is that S, she has had a crippling fear of mortality ever since a cousin died unexpectedly a few years back. She worries about dying often. She's been in therapy for it. She also has anxiety and asthma, which of course puts her at a higher risk if she got the virus. And so back in late February, when California's first positive coronavirus case was identified about an hour's drive away from where they live, S. basically instituted her own quarantine for their apartment. She says everything in the apartment suddenly felt untouchable and dangerous. She began disinfecting everything, hand-washing not just when you come in from the outside, but after any sneeze or cough. Now, H admits he's not sure if this is all totally necessary, but he thought he was keeping up with the protocol pretty well anyway and that they were getting along in their quarantine until one night in early March, just after they'd gotten into their bed.
5: Right before we uh, went to sleep, um, we were just laying in bed uh, and then I had a sneeze come on uh, and my hands were inside the covers so I couldn't really get them out to cover my face Quick enough, so I just quickly turned around away from her. She was on my right side, I turned my left side, turned around, sneezed into the bed sheets, and uh, she immediately got up and she said, Go wash your hands. And you know, we were both like half asleep at this point, and I was just like, I, I'm not washing my hands, I didn't sneeze in my hands, sneeze on bed, and she's like, I don't care, go wash your hands. Then she said, You know, go wash your hands, uh, I don't want to have to keep telling you again, and then I just went out into the living room and as I was leaving she
2: said f- you you. F- H slept on the couch that night, and the next day, stuck in their apartment, both working from home, they didn't speak much. That night they had another fight about the same thing. H said he felt smothered by her cleanliness, and S said she didn't want to have to keep reminding him to keep clean. And then she said he should just go. So H. went to the bedroom and packed up his duffel bag and left. He used an app called Hotel Tonight to find a hotel nearby. But once he checked in, he realized something about his reservation.
5: The Hotel Tonight account was linked to our joint email account. And out of some spiteful pettiness, I didn't want her knowing where I was at that point, I guess, because I wanted her to kind of be worried about me. So I, I get to the hotel and I tell the hotel clerk, Hey, can you send an email saying that I canceled the hotel? The, the hotel clerk was like, uh, "Okay, yeah, that was a weird request, but sure, we'll
2: send it." H mostly played games on his phone that night and purposely did not respond to his wife's texts and calls. There were a lot of them.
5: And then eventually she stopped. Except one more time, she said, "Like, are you are you at least going to come home tomorrow? Please come home tomorrow." And I texted back, uh, "Yeah, I'll." I'll Come home tomorrow, I'm fine. Uh, Go to sleep, and I'll try to go to sleep.
2: The next morning, when he got home, his wife immediately apologized. Then he apologized. And they both say they've avoided any big fights since. But S is still really worried about catching the virus. And she still wants H to cover his sneezes and his coughs inside the apartment, even though she knows there's probably no preventing contamination from anyone you live with. It's an anxiety thing, she says. And H says that he'll comply. He says that he might not do that in normal times, when her fear of mortality seems more like an obvious overreaction to flying or driving. But we're in a pandemic. Healthy people, even people in their 30s, like H&S, are dying. And other people who seem fine are walking around spreading the virus. So it's hard right now to say exactly what qualifies as being too careful.
1: We'll be back after a break.
0: Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases, such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com.
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Train Technologies, challenging what's possible for a sustainable world. Train Technologies is reducing one gigaton of emissions from their customers' footprint by 2030. See how they're doing it at traintechnologies.com.
1: There's no getting around it. The coronavirus pandemic has upended everything. And daily decisions made by the White House and Congress
3: will radically impact the human and economic toll. To keep up with the latest, join us on the NPR Politics Podcast. We'll cut through the noise and let you know what decisions are being made and how they affect you.
1: Okay, we're back with stories of relationships starting, struggling, and sometimes ending during the pandemic.
0: Hello? Hi, is this Colleen? Yeah, this is she. And uh, my
4: husband,
1: uh, former husband,
4: is right here as well.
1: This is Ian. Did you say you're kind of in a gray area right now? Yes. (laughs) not quite
2: sure if we're allowed to say X yet or not.
1: Ian and Colleen live in Oregon. And right when the stay-at-home order happened, Ian told Colleen he wanted a divorce. All I kept
3: thinking was, of all the times, like, I cannot believe that he
1: is asking for a divorce during a pandemic. This is absurd. To Ian, there was never going to be an ideal time. If he waited, what would he be waiting for? No one knows how long the world will be shut down. He's made his decision. So now Ian and Colleen spend their days forced to live together and figuring out a plan for when they're apart. So far, they know Colleen will keep the bed frame and Ian will take the mattress. Amy lives in Illinois. She and her husband were already separated and she'd already filed for divorce. But then the coronavirus happened. Amy heard that her husband might have gotten exposed. And she just got really, really scared. So a few nights later, he offered to bring over food. She said yes. And when he got there, she told him to just stay.
4: There was some small part of me,
3: I think, that got sucked back in a little bit. I got hoovered, as they say.
1: For a minute, she thought, maybe... They'd get back together. He stayed for three days, and that's all it took for them both to remember, we do not want to be together. They now live separately again, and when the courts reopen, they'll finish that divorce. We called around to a handful of couples' therapists, too. No surprise, they're pretty busy these days. Michelle Wiener-Davis counsels couples in Boulder, Colorado. And she says this pandemic is causing even stable couples to struggle. So
4: many couples have different perspectives of the severity of what's happening right now. So they disagree about what needs to be done about it. And it's really exacerbated if they have children and one person thinks it's okay if the kids go out and play with the neighbor kids. And the other person thinks, are you kidding me? That's going to be a fatal decision. It's been very clear to me that all the disagreements that couples have had in the past, whether it's about bedtime or where they spend holidays with whose family, really um, are so mild in comparison to this thing that's happening in the world right now, because that really, truly feels like life and death decisions.
1: So now Wiener says she's telling people not to fight about what's more dangerous or what's more likely to make someone sick and just give in to the partner who's the most worried.
4: I've been really encouraging people at the risk of sounding biased that for the time being, err on the side of caution. To do what you have to do to help your partner feel secure in the world. If you can do something to help ease the discomfort of a person you love. If you're not going to do that now in your life, seriously, when are you going to do
1: it? You know, I'm thinking about couples who were, you know, in a position where they were thinking about separating anyway, Mm -hmm. right? And then this crazy thing comes along. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what are some things that you've helped people do just to help minimize the tension? You know, like, what are some creative solutions you've helped people come up with?
4: You know, here's the tricky part. In most relationships that are falling apart, it's very, very rarely mutual. It's almost always one person wants in and the other person wants out, a unilateral feeling. And so that would be challenging in this situation because the person who wants in is more likely to want to pursue or push for time together or to work on the relationship. And it's really, you know, imperative that they declare a a moratorium on trying to fix things during this time, because that will only, make things worse. Relationships are such that if one person pursues pretty hard, the other person is going to withdraw even more. And so that's one thing I've been advising uh, people to do when they're, you know, under the same roof with different feelings about the viability of their marriage in the future. This is a period that we're not making decisions, and we're not working on our relationship. We're just going to figure out how to be nice to each other. Not to be misinterpreted as, you know, trying to improve the marriage, but simply to help each of you sustain serenity until you guys are done with this.
1: Michelle did have some stories of people who've gotten closer during the lockdown and who might even reconcile But for the most part, she says, this is not a good time for people in relationships.
4: Here's my theory. When this lockdown is over, the divorce rate is going to skyrocket. You know, these times are so trying, and I think that people are going to be reevaluating their lives and think, escape feels like heaven. And it's really unfortunate because i think for so many people there probably are solutions to the things that they feel troubled by and the question is whether they'll be able to convince themselves not to run and work them out i just don't know i really think there'll be a rise in the divorce rate after this
1: The stories we told in today's episode did not involve domestic violence. But we do want to say, if you are in a relationship and you don't feel safe, you can get help by calling the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. This episode was produced by Chris Benderev and Tom Dreisbach and edited by Lisa Pollack and Neil Carruth. Music by Ramtin Arablui and Blue Dot Sessions. H&S's story came from The Social Distance Project, which is led by a writer at Variety named Meg Zukin. You can read more stories at thesocialdistanceproject.org. Reach out to us if you want to tell your story of the pandemic. We'd love it if you recorded it as a voice memo on your phone and emailed it to embedded at npr.org. We will be back back soon with more
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR.
3: If you're looking for a new way to support this show and public media, please consider signing up for the NPR Plus podcast bundle. NPR Plus listeners get to unlock sponsor-free listening and bonus episodes from NPR shows like this one. You can find out more at plus.npr.org.